This is episode number 361 with analytics expert John David Arianson. Welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast. My name is Kirill Eremenko, data science coach and lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you inspiring people and ideas to help you build your successful career in data science. Thanks for being here today. And now let's make the complex simple. Welcome back to the Super Data Science Podcast, everybody. Super pumped to have you back here on the show and also super excited for the episode you're about to hear. We had a fantastic chat with John David and what you need to know about John David is that he is an analytics expert who set up a consulting agency of his own. And in this podcast, you will hear plenty of ideas and tips on how to set up your own analytics consulting agency how to become a freelancer in this space, or even how to get a job. A lot of these tips are going to be applicable to getting a job in the space of analytics or data science. And specifically, what are we going to be talking about? Well, we'll talk about innovative ways to get a job or a consulting gig, and uh, some of the methods that John David has used might sound extremely out of the box, and I, I found them very exciting, so can't wait for you to hear those. Um, we'll talk about being a big fish in a little pond and what that means. Uh, we'll talk about sales, networking, iterations in your own career and in your own projects, uh, COVID-19, and how to network during uh, times of the coronavirus and why it's necessary and useful for absolutely everybody to learn data visualization. So, and by the way, John David is in the space of analytics, so we're going to be talking mostly about visualization, but at the same time, I think that these things are applicable to everybody doing data science, whether you are a machine learning uh, guru and you are focused predominantly on coding, or you are in the space of analytics, or you're getting to the space of data science. Visualization is a very powerful tool, so you'll hear quite a few things about that here as well. So that is what we're going to be talking about today. Can't wait for you to check out this episode. So without further ado, let's dive straight into it. And I bring to you analytics expert, John David Arianza. Welcome back to the Super Day Science Podcast, everybody. Super pumped to have you on the show. Today's guest is John David Ariansen, who's calling in from North Carolina. John David, how are you going? I'm doing really well. How are you? Very good as well. What's the name of the city again where you are? I'm in Greensboro, North Carolina. Greensboro. Okay, great. And um, how's things going with all the lockdowns? You mentioned you walked to your dad's office. <laughs> You're breaking the law walking around. <laughs> well, so it's not illegal to walk around right now, but um, like my co-working space that I usually work out of is completely shut down. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're, we're pretty much on, on lockdown um, no gatherings of more than 10 people. Um, you know, I, fortunately I think North Carolina isn't being hit nearly as bad as, um, some of the other States, but also too, I mean, Greensboro has only got 300,000 people in the city. You know, I think the major metros are, are just getting is completely rammed by this, uh, coronavirus. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the interesting thing is that like, it's the situation is changing so fast that, 
I don't even know. Nobody knows what it's going to be like when this episode goes live, right? So today, just for everybody's information, is 6th of April, Monday, 6th of April, recording this. This is going to go live in a few weeks from now, maybe like a month, and the world will be so different by then. Right. I mean, it's, it's um, hopefully, you know, New York has hit its like peak. I yeah. heard that the deaths are down the past three days in a row, but you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty, pretty terrifying. Ho- hopefully we're doing a good job of flattening the curve, so to speak. Yeah, that's right. Um, how long do you think this will last for? <sighs> well, I mean, we have a, a shutdown or lockdown order until the, the end of this month. Mm-hmm. But um, who knows? I mean, I think what I've been hearing is that it, it may come back in a second wave. That's Oof. not a, as bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, there are all these science teams actually working on, you know, some type of a cure or, a you know, immunity. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, may, maybe there will be the second time it comes around, there'll be, you know, some some safeguards in place that'll dampen the spread even more. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. It's um like an unprecedented situation where so many researchers worldwide are working, probably like millions of researchers are working on the same problem and are sharing data transparently and helping collaborating across borders and putting aside any kind of recognition and who's going to do it first, who's who's going to get all the credit. That's not important anymore. It's just people are here to solve this problem. It's very, you know, while it's such a drastic, drastically difficult time, at the same time, it's really nice to see that um, the collaboration that's going on in, in the science space. And without a doubt, there will be a cure. And moreover, like if the next, when the next pandemic hits, and there will be a next pandemic, we'll be prepared, right? Like we will know right. how to react. What I think is interesting is what is this going to have in terms of an effect on how work cultures function? Mm. So I think a lot of organizations are realizing, well, you know, maybe a positive coming out of this would be that, hey, working remotely isn't as scary as we thought it was. In fact, you know, our organization didn't completely crumble when we weren't allowed to have our employees in the office. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's right. So that's right. Because that's the question I get pretty often in my uh, on my podcast is how do I land a remote job, and I'm hoping that you know maybe this will be a boon to even more um, remote work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully it's uh, there's been a lot of industries that have been historically opposed to it, from education to, um, for instance. Uh, courts right like how do you hold a court remotely very difficult i don't think that's that's a common practice in any country or was a common practice um a lot of office work as you said so definitely there's when you're put in a situation where there's no other way you're gonna find ways and moreover this is not like a a a week-long uh lockdown if this continues for months then People are just going to get into the whole habit of just doing things more online. Uh, but it, but what do you think that has, what impact do you think that has on the social element? Like we even hear the social distancing concept. Do you think that will people after this will be more reluctant to network and connect with each other and uh, meet each other up for coffee or dinner and things like that? 
Um, I think initially, yes, people are going to be kind of hesitant. Although, I mean, at the same time, people are probably so thirsty right now for human contact and socializing that, you know, they might just run out of their apartment and out of isolation and into mm. the pub or something. True. Interesting. Interesting. Um, yeah. How's your work going? Speaking of working remotely, because you have a uh, consulting agency in the space of business intelligence uh, and analytics. How's that going? Right. right. Yeah. So I'm, I run Silvertone Analytics, which I've been running that for about three years now. Um, I did lose one of my clients um, recently. Well, I shouldn't say I didn't lose them. They, uh, they do on-site sales training. So every single one of their lines of business is completely on pause right now. Mm. So, you know, I had a call with them about two weeks ago and we have quite a bit more work in terms of my um, consulting engagement with them. And they were talking about it in terms of, you know, well, in the fall, when we get back to this, not, you know, we're done, mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're just going to stop this consulting engagement. Gotcha. How many clients do you have in total right now? Let me see. I have four clients right now. Is that's including that company or not? Um, no, that's not including that company. Okay, gotcha. And so, what what is it that you do for your clients? So that's that's a really good question. There, it breaks down into three main things that I do mm -hmm. uh, on the consulting side. So, of course, I you know I teach as well. In fact, we're collaborating on a course. You know, that's coming up soon. Yay! But, <laughs> Exciting Power BI, and we've already done a course, right? Like uh, you've done a course with Super Data Science on Tableau. Yeah, so th that's what I was going to start off by, you know, backing up a little bit. Um, when I first finished my MBA, I started um, consulting as a Tableau specialist. Yep. And I was nothing but data visualization, mm -hmm. and nothing but specifically Tableau data visualization. Mm -hmm. And what I realized is, you know, I'm in Greensboro, North Carolina, and most of the the work I was getting was through, you know, I was giving public talks around here and, you know, just networking and, and meeting people that way. Um, I realized that being a Tableau specialist was kind of a small market. Mm -hmm. So then, you know, I started branching out into to Power BI and that's, you know, Power BI and Tableau, that's sig a significantly larger market. Mm -hmm. But then I realized, you know, just doing data visualization is you know, not a huge market in and to itself. So I started branding myself as an analytics expert. Mm -hmm. And really what I do, it's three core things. I help with data governance. Mm -hmm. So if the data isn't being governed properly, you can't even do data visualization. It's just, you know, if you're, if you have bad data that's telling you the wrong thing, then visualizing it isn't going to lead to an actionable insight. <laughs> Yeah, it's got, it might lead you to an actual insight. It might be a very poor insight right. <laughs> or, or a very bad action. Right, right. So I, I realized that, you know, what are the bottlenecks that are getting me more and more clients or more yeah. work? And data governance was probably the number one thing, mm -hmm. especially so my clients range anywhere from 150 million in revenue all the way down to, you know, 500,000. Mm -hmm. You know, I try not to take on as many of the smaller clients because it's it's harder to have a big impact on one of those smaller organizations. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I do do quite a bit of um, philanthropic work too. Um, I'm I'm a board member um, through Tried Local First, which is 
a nonprofit here in Greensboro that supports localism. Mm -hmm. But um, it's it's really hard to make a living working with smaller clients. Mm -hmm. Um, So that the first thing is data governance. Mm -hmm. The next thing is I help you know once the once the data is at least being talked about, Mm -hmm. um, we then move on to defining key metrics. Mm And then, you know, once we sit down with the executive team and, you know, usually I, I get brought in in one department, you know, it, it seems like my wheelhouse has kind of been sales and marketing, mm-hmm. like building data visualizations that help improve sales teams, mm-hmm. how they spend their time. And then also marketing, you know, where, where are your leads coming in, where are your sales coming from, and then, you know, doubling down on the things that are working. Mm-hmm. So once we define those KPIs, we then, you know, move into the third step, which is implementing an analytics infrastructure. And that's where Tableau or Power BI comes in. Mm-hmm. So I haven't abandoned them. It's just I'm doing a whole lot more. It's almost like I'm an advisor mm-hmm. to CFOs, CMOs, COOs of um, sitting down with them and helping them, you know, learn about analytics and how they can improve their decision making process. Mm-hmm. Okay, gotcha. So uh, I want to understand a bit better. You finished your MBA and you, instead of joining a company, you decided to start consulting. What was that decision uh, directed by? Um, so I have a problem with authority. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, so um, I, I got my MBA with a concentration in analytics, and I thought, you know, pivoting into the analytics space that I wanted to go and work for one of these bigger companies. Mm-hmm. And I had two internships in, you know, a $12 billion company, and it was just, that six months was just, it was a mess. It was, I, I didn't do well in a very rigid, hierarchical corporate structure. Mm. This was during your MBA, they provided you with internships? Uh, they didn't provide it. I went out and found it. Oh. Like they, they have, um, well, I mean, between year one and year two, you have to get an internship um, because there's a summer course where they like teach you how to, you know, be effective in the workplace. Mm-hmm. And, you, uh, you know, you check in with your teacher and, and then, you know, your, your manager also gives you, you know, feedback. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, so I, I tried kind of going the traditional route, and it just was not for me. Mm-hmm. And then to back up even further, before I went back to get my MBA, I did sales for about three years. So I was 100% uh, commission in the insurance space. Mm-hmm. And I developed quite a bit of sales skills and kind of realized that things are kind of negotiable. Like mm-hmm. you can sell people and just because there's an an opportunity isn't on the table right now that doesn't mean that if you're smart and you're creative that you can't put you know a third option on the table mm-hmm. and um to illustrate this so i i did two internships with that 12 billion dollar company and it just it wasn't really a good fit so i i got a little bit creative with my final internship coming into the last semester of my mba and what i did was <laughs> And I don't know, I, I haven't heard another story like this in the analytics space, mm-hmm. specifically in terms of internships, but I applied for an internship that was designed for like a sophomore or a junior in undergrad. Mm-hmm. 
And what I did was I showed up to that interview and this is what they were looking for. They were they were looking for someone to pull manufacturing data and and build some very basic Excel charts and graphs to understand, you know, how are we doing in terms of, you know, is there seasonality in our sales? Are, you know, how's our in-stock percentage keeping up? You know, are we are we holding on to excess amount of inventory? Mm-hmm. So I showed up to that interview with an alternate proposal. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> and I and maybe that's just my sales skills and my kind of entrepreneurial spirit spirit coming. But um, I told them, hey, you know, this is a three month internship. I can automate this entire process for you using Tableau. Mm-hmm. And, wow. you know, um, they they paid me the same that they would, a, you know, a sophomore or junior. Um, but in a three month period, I scaled up their analytics capabilities by 12 times. Wow. So they had 12 assortments. They were looking for just one assortment to be analyzed. And I sat down with um, the president of the company and I said, hey, what are you looking for in terms of your assortment analysis? Mm-hmm. And he kind of mapped it all out. And I was like, well, we can build an automated infrastructure around this. So let me let me understand the data that you pull out of you know the system. And then I'll build a Tableau infrastructure where all you need to do is just click a mouse to get the insight that you need. Oh, and what did he say? It's impossible. <laughs> um, well, he knew that I was an, an MBA student and that it was a little bit strange that I was applying for s- such a you know basic internship. Now, I mean, he he bought it. He was like, wow, that this sounds exactly, you know, what I want. And I'm, I'm still managing that system three years later. Wow. So they're still your client. They are, yeah. Wonderful. Very cool. Hey, everybody. Hope you're enjoying this amazing episode. This is a quick announcement and we'll get right back to it. We are hiring at Super Data Science. With the recent pandemic and the coronavirus, we all know how a lot of people have lost their jobs and their source of income. So hopefully this will be a breath of fresh air for some people out there. Uh, We are a 100% remote team. We all work online. We're continuing to grow. And I've just literally just published 10 new positions at Super Data Science, which might be suitable to you. And even if they're not suitable to you, check them out. They're at superdatascience.com slash careers. Check them out and send them to somebody you know who may have been displaced by this pandemic and all the lockdowns, who may have lost their job and source of income. You could change their life. We are creating opportunities for people to do their best work, to contribute, to create amazing products and create amazing experiences for people studying data science. So here are some of the positions that have just been released. Uh, VP of Marketing, Product Designer, General Manager, VP of Sales, Junior Media Creator, Sales Representative, B2B Event Sales Representative, Event Marketer, B2B Sales Representative, and Marketing Strategist. And those are just some of the initial positions that we have available right now. More will come soon. So keep an eye out at superdatascience.com slash careers. Maybe we'll even post a data scientist position in the near future. But even if none of these are relevant to you specifically, if you know somebody who's in marketing or in sales or who's a great general manager, who's great at creating amazing products in education and learning experiences, or who's great at running events or somebody who is amazing at creating animated videos, If you know any of these people, any people with the right talents and skills, 
please send them this link, superdesigns.com slash careers. This could change their life or career, especially in these difficult times. Thank you very much for your help and let's get right back to it. So that's how you got your first client. Very, very interesting story. Creative way. Um, like I call these guerrilla tactics. Like nobody does that, right? Nobody uses a low-level internship application to get your foot in the door and then blow their minds away on the inter- on the interview and then also leave a lot of poor sophomore graduates out of there or students <laughs> out of an opportunity. Yeah, I guess that wasn't very kind of me. <laughs> but like it's uh, it's just your approach, right? Like at the end of the day, you delivered value to the company, right? Like uh, that's that's the goal, right? You you created more value than they wanted and that's why you got the whole gig. Um, how'd you get your second client? Hmm. How did I get my second client? Actually, this is another really interesting story. I started posting on Reddit. Mm-hmm. So did you start a, posting? Um, just looking for Tableau work. I just posted an, on R for Hire. And granted, this was three years ago. This may be a super saturated niche now. Yeah. In fact, I think that Upwork has come a long way in terms of actually being able to find freelance work. Yep. But yeah, I, I posted on there and... Turns out there was a guy in Winston-Salem, which is about 30 minutes away from Greensboro, who he is he does web development, and he wanted to start adding in um, marketing analytics as a product offering. Mm-hmm. So then we we naturally partnered. Unfortunately, that didn't it didn't really pan out that well, but it kind of showed me that hey, there's there's a market here that they're mm-hmm. they're specifically in Greensboro. And I think you'll see this with a lot of smaller cities is that you can be a big fish in a little pond. Mm-hmm. If you go to you know London or New York or San Francisco, there's a bunch of data analysts. Mm-hmm. But I'm the only analytics shop in town in Greensboro. I mean, mm-hmm. I do have a few competitors, but they do you know like a full product offering, and analytics is just one part of it. Mm-hmm. But I'm the the only person who is doing, you know, analytics driven management consulting in Greensboro. Okay, gotcha. So you're saying that everybody listening should move to Greensboro and set up there. <laughs> uh, well, I'm, all I'm saying is uh, you're a little too late for that. <laughs> I, I got my foot in here. I love it. Love it. Okay, so that shows you there's an opportunity there. There's a market, and so what'd you do from there? Um. Well, so I then. Uh, for the about two months, I worked out of my apartment, mm-hmm. and I got super lonely. Mm-hmm. So then I decided to look around and try to find a co-working space. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that there is a really sweet co-working space right off of Elm Street, which is the main drag in downtown Greensboro. Mm-hmm. And then I just started working out of there. And that was amazing to me in that I met so many other entrepreneurs who then could connect me to other entrepreneurs, and it was just kind of like a, you know, just a network effect. I, nice. I, I made a name for myself as the analytics guy, and then that I would get brought up in conversation somewhat organically. Uh huh. Gotcha. But so then, from- yeah, but, but from there, I actually met my first business partner that that really really worked out, mm. and his name is uh, Gary Fly, mm-hmm. and what what his business was at the time is he was a fractional CEO. Mm-hmm. So he would come in 
kind of like um like you know the how, CEO for hire. Right. Well, it almost the model was like, you know how you buy like a beat up house and flip it? Uh-huh. He would do kind of the same thing for organizations. Okay. So one of the ways that he kind of saw that he could have some longer term income is if we could implement an analytics system and then leave that behind because then that might open up, you know, more sales opportunities, also kind of a longer term revenue model for him too. Mm-hmm. And he's, he was a vector force. Mm-hmm. So he would, once I met him, then all of a sudden I met so many other business owners. Mm-hmm. And that that was kind of the beginning of of my agency really get, starting to get some traction. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay, gotcha. So basically, not sitting in one place, moving around, posting, going to places, meeting people through net through networking, you got your um, second, third, fourth clients. Correct. Yeah. Exciting times, man. Exciting story. Um, yeah. So and. What I was interested in as well, in a couple of times during this, like what you've already described, you sat down with like the CEO, the director of a company, the board of executive, the executive team and so on. Like, if you don't mind me asking, you're pretty young. How old are you? Uh, 31. 31, right? So like when you walk in and there's like a board of executives sitting there like, a seasoned executive has been around for 20, 30 years. <laughs> you probably yeah. are like you and I, like we were born when they were already starting like, you know, their work. How do you feel? And what, like, do you ever get a pushback that big because of your age? You know, I actually don't come into that too often. Mm. And the reason why is, I'm sure, you know, you have some parents that are a bit older. Do you ever have them ask you about your computer or how to fix something? Yeah, they do, yeah. So they kind of see me as like the the new the person with the the ideas in the room. Hmm. Like like it and they realize that if well, it it, it kind of depends though. There are some executives I've run into who are very close-minded and it's like this is my fiefdom. I'm running this with an iron fist and you can't come in. Mm -hmm. Those aren't the executives I want to work with. Mm -hmm. I want to work with executives who are open-minded and also, you know, looking into the future because these are the companies that are actually going to adapt and change and be around for a long time. Gotcha. Okay. That's really cool. That's really cool. So that, um, you know, that mindset, I like that mindset and it helps get off, get over that original fear that my, some people might have that, oh, well, I'm too young to be advising companies. I have to uh, be in the workforce. I have to be part of a company. No, like that didn't work for you. And you, you thought to yourself, oh, well, I'm going to be a consultant now. Cool. I, I did have, yeah, I did have some struggle though in terms of sometimes Gary would sell projects that I didn't know how to actually implement. Oh, wow. That Gary was really- is quite ambitious. <laughs> <laughs> did he talk yeah. to you first or it's like oh, i'm gonna sell this by the way john david here's another one um i mean i, I would be in the room but he would uh, he, he's a, a seasoned entrepreneur and yeah. i mean apparently that's somewhat comp you know common in the entrepreneur space of i'm going to sell a product and i've got to figure 20 percent of it out before yeah. i actually launch it yeah. i was very very much uncomfortable with that i will say this though for how uncomfortable I've been 
over the past three years, I look back on it. It's like, man, I just ran through walls for three years, just upping my skill and my knowledge base and like learning about, you know, how to actually implement a lot of these things, some mental models of like, you know, what does a CFO want to learn from their data or what is a CMO looking for? And then I'm starting to actually develop my own body of work kind of. Like mm-hmm. these are the these are the products, the productized service offerings that I've developed through my own knowledge. Mm-hmm. Like like back in my MBA courses, I you know I did have case studies that I learned from, but I mean that that's not really a great way of learning. The best way to learn is to take on projects and 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 have problems pop up and then solve them yourself. Because mm. that that's such a deep way of learning. Yeah, yeah. Like in a case study. It's nice, it showcases some things to you, but it lacks the real component, right? Like the, usually in a case study, data is already polished up for you, or you know, there's a certain set of steps that if you take, you'll be successful. And even if you don't figure it out on your own, they'll tell you, right? They'll give you the answer. But in the real world, you don't even know if there, there is that set of steps. Right, are you familiar with uh, Naval Ravikamp? Of course, yeah. So, um, have, did you listen to his um, Joe Rogan podcast? I, I did listen to that, but then that I was the to, best podcast I've ever yeah. heard. And I, I'm not sure if he mentioned this this concept in that podcast, or I, I listened to it. Well, I know for sure that it's in. Um, I will teach you to be rich. Uh-huh. His he, podcast. Wait, wait, Naval Ray Kant is the founder of AngelList. Uh, yeah. I'll teach you to be rich. That, uh, rich that's um, Ramit Sethi. Um, okay. Maybe it's not, I will teach you to be rich. It's like, I will teach you to be wealthy. Like, oh yeah. Yeah. He's got his own podcast, like mini right. series. Yeah. I've, I've, right. Right. Yeah. I've so heard that one. So part of it actually. The, um, why that's relevant is he mentions this, this concept called specific knowledge Uh-huh. and specific knowledge is where you solved a problem on your own. And then now you have that visceral experience of completely being dumbfounded by it doing some research, you know, doing some work on it and then solving it yourself. That's that just like kind of roots itself in your subconscious. And it also speaks volume because you can say, oh, yeah, I've worked on this before and this is how I solve the problem. And even furthermore, here's the ec- like economic impact of solving that problem. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Economic impact on the company or on you? Uh, well, on the company. Um, you know, you can say, oh, like you demonstrate the tangible results to your next prospective customer. Right. Well, you can say, yeah, you can say, look, you know, we identified a problem in the supply chain and it means that you're holding on to $150,000 worth of excess inventory all winter long. Yeah. They're going to know what that means. They're going to, oh, if I had $150,000, I can invest it in this. Yeah. Yeah. And I can pay for the services that you're going to provide and still have extra. Right. Nice, man, nice. Navalry Khan's so good. I love that that mini series uh about wealth creation. Uh is like oh, what is this this really cool quote that we can't solve like before we solve many of the world's problems, let's first help everybody understand how to become wealthy and then they'll be much more relaxed. Uh, paraphrasing, of course, about right. all these other problems. Like cuz if you have financial stress in your life, yeah, the last thing you're going to be thinking about is like, how do I reduce pollution or how do I uh, become more environmentally conscious? You're struggling to survive. You 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 got to put food ta- on the table for your family. 
And um, yeah, so he gave some really cool examples about that. And wealth creation was the other thing that I learned from him is that wealth creation is not a zero sum game, right? Like it's not like chess or or status, you know, status is zero sum game. If you're number one in something and I'm number seven, for me to become number one, you're going to have to become number two or even lower. Whereas with wealth, like you and I, we meet up, okay, we go away, we create something of value, we come back together, we exchange it. No, both of us have more wealth in that sense. And um, there's a very interesting concept he brought up. Yeah, and I think also, too, that something that's really relevant to your audience is scale. He mm. talks about scaling you know, productivity. Mm-hmm. So if we go back to my internship example, what I really provided that president of that company was I gave him analytics at scale. Mm-hmm. So instead of doing ad hoc, you know, hiring an intern that's a junior in undergrad to do this one line review, they now have a system that updates, you know, from their perspective automatically every two weeks. I have to do a little bit on the back end, unfortunately, because they're they're using a legacy system that I can't hook into with an API. Mm-hmm. Um, but from their perspective, they have all the data curated in a way that they can quickly identify the key metrics for them. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. But so what did that, what, uh, what did that do for you? Uh, it, it, it really hammered home the concept of systems thinking versus mm-hmm. ad hoc. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and this is not really something that I was taught in school mm-hmm. of like building a system and really like cultivating a system versus going off and solving solving individual problems that are mm-hmm. novel each time. Mm-hmm. So I, I've kind of developed like a framework. Like, I mean, I walked you through the the three main things that I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I've seen that uh, that pattern establish doesn't matter if I'm working with an erectile dysfunction company, a waste disposal company, or a manufacturing company. Those th- same three steps apply across the board. Data governance, KPIs, and analytics infrastructure. Right. That That's kind of the space that, that I occupy, right? Mm-hmm. I occupy. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Okay, gotcha. Um, so do you work with companies locally in Greensboro, or do you work uh, online with companies as well? I would say probably 80% of my clients are local. Um, I do have um, a one long-term client that works down in Texas, and they're actually doing BI in the uh, gas and oil space. Mm. So I, I help them with their visualizations and kind of you know, getting that mm-hmm. taken care of. Nice. Okay, very cool. Um, yeah. That's very interesting. Let's talk a bit about your podcast, right? So on the flip side, <laughs> you're moonlighting, uh, <laughs> doing this podcast about uh, how to get a job in data science. Well, first of all, congrats on launching that uh, this year, which is very exciting. How's that been going? Um, it's been going great. I mean, it's funny because I, I see that I, I operate under this umbrella of analytics mm-hmm. and getting more traction on this podcast means that I can reach out to, you know, more and more established people in the analytics space. Yeah. And I can also interview clients of mine and and talk through, you know, some of the problems they've had with analytics and how they think about it. Um, yeah, it's 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 I see it kind of as uh, you know, all all a tide rises all ships. Mm-hmm. So this is just further kind of cementing me 
as as an expert. It's kind of adding some legitimacy to me. Gotcha. And but like, what do you discuss on the store there? Like, um, uh, how to get a job in data science, right? So. If it, it's a bit different to, all right, let's talk about analytics or let's talk about common customer problems in data science. What, why did you decide to specifically help people get jobs in data science? Um, well, kind of where I, I see my consulting agency moving towards is once we build out an analytics infrastructure, they're not going to pay me the extremely high rate that I charge yeah. as part of their overhead. They're seeing me as a very defined, specific project. Mm-hmm. So what what has started happening is they're now looking to me to place full time analysts to actually run the systems that I build. Mm-hmm. And um, that plus getting back to HQ, um, one of the people I met there who's who's working out of there as well. What's HQ? Is HQ Greensboro. Oh, that's the co working. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, one of the people that I've met there is Elizabeth Illig, and she is the c- career service person for Wake Forest Masters of Analytics. Mm-hmm. And we got to talking, and and I was telling her about, you know, I've, I, I want to get a po- podcast up and running. And she was saying, you know, we could potentially partner because mm-hmm. she's got all these frameworks of, you know, the students that she's worked with all their success stories and then she's also kind of got her developed her own approach which breaks down into five steps so we've we structured the first five months of the podcast to follow kind of the five steps of getting an analytics job so the Mm. first step is discovery and that's kind of researching the job market and identifying you know getting back to naval is your specific knowledge like what are you good at and where does that fit into the areas of the analytics market that are growing? Mm-hmm. Then once you kind of pick a direction and you know carve out an area where you think you could kind of thrive in the analytics space, you then build skills. And that's you know a lot of the courses that that I teach are data visualization focused. But if you decide that you don't want to be you know a data visualization specialist, you could, you know, start finding other courses. And I've I've interviewed quite a few people who build um, online courses and also one person who advises on building out uh, data analytics and data science boot camps for universities. So that was just an interview packed full of knowledge. Then after skill building, you have networking, which, um, you know, we, we talked about that a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. How do you network during COVID-19? Mm-hmm. And we're actually releasing an episode tomorrow, which is you know April seventh, on networking when you're in lockdown. Mm-hmm. Then after networking, it's personal branding, which is you know building a portfolio, getting your LinkedIn page up to snuff, and then also building out a resume. And then finally, the uh, last month is interviewing. Mm-hmm. So we talk through strategies of how to talk about yourself, which um. I mean that's that's really where I'm 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 pretty good in terms of explaining myself and then you know framing things up. There is this one book I read called I think it's called Sell Anything. I may be getting that that book title wrong, but it talks about like how to frame up deals and an interview is essentially that. You're the commodity that's being bought. 
how do you frame yourself up so that you look as, you know, as positive as you possibly can to the interviewee? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You mean interviewer? In, in, interviewer. Yeah. You're the interviewee. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Very cool. Uh, that's a noble thing to do. Um, so podcast, a series of episodes by the way like i just checked it out i keep getting the ro- the the name wrong it's actually called how to get an, an analytics job not a job in data yeah, sense right Spe- speaking of that uh, let's define this uh, we identify this as an interesting topic for this podcast for us to chat about analytics versus data science what what's the difference i have my opinions on this and i and i almost hesitate to like broadcast them out there because i feel like <laughs> i feel like i've had People who are like hardcore coders and like, you know, mathematicians being like, you're not a data scientist. Yeah, um, but, but opinions are opinions, right? So let's, um, with the caveat, these are our opinions. Let's right. dive into it. No, Nobody's going to get lynched for their opinions <laughs> here. So the way it works in my agency is I see myself as an analytics expert. And that's kind of, you know, where data bumps into the business world. Mm-hmm. I do have data scientists who are kind of more math focused that solve very specific problems and they use you know like python and other coding languages like people you outsource some work to correct mm-hmm. so yeah that's that's kind of where i see the differentiation and you know it's there's not really like a standard that i've seen of like someone really nailing it down of what's mm-hmm. the difference between um analytics and data science uh, it, it seems like um, kind of a permeable, permeable membrane. Like it kind of, you know, people are, you know, somewhat mixed in between there. Hmm. Well, here's what I think. I think data science is, and again, I've as you, like I've heard very different opinions, very, like very reputable people even on this podcast have said that analytics is not part of data science. It's just uh, data science is specifically coding. Uh, my opinion is data science, very broad. Analytics is a sub-segment of data science. So you have the whole machine learning side of data science. You have visualization, analytics. For me, even presentation of results. So in my view, you can be a data scientist who does absolutely zero coding, zero business intelligence, zero Tableau, whatever else visualization, but you are very good specifically at explaining complex insights and findings to a business audience, to people who are going to be making those business decisions. That's all you do. You're like an analytics or data science insights, visualization, whatever, translator. That's all you do for for your job. You go around talking to executives, explaining and putting this into uh, understandable slides or presentations, whatever else. That's also a data scientist in my view because you are in that whole ecosystem of getting from data to actions. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah, I, I would say that I kind of sit, you know, further to that end of the spectrum in that I'm kind of, yeah, like an interpreter. Hmm. Like but I, you also create the insights, right? Like you use BI to create insights. You just don't use machine learning or deep learning and all those sophisticated complex things um which is totally fine you know somebody else would but i think you combine a few of those roles yeah well i mean power bi and tableau it's essentially point and click with a little bit of coding Mm. sprinkled in there 
Yeah. So yeah, it's almost like maybe I have a little bit of imposter syndrome saying I'm a data scientist because you know my my uh, data scientist that I outsource projects to has a master's degree in applied mathematics, and I'm mm. like, wow, you're in a completely different. Well, and what's interesting though is like, yeah, he's amazing at math, but he doesn't have like the uh, the sales skills and the business acumen that I have. Mm. So I see that there's like a great opportunity for partnership there. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. Um, there's an interesting book. What is it called? The The End of Jobs by I think it's Taylor Pearson, and I think he actually quotes a book in there uh, called The Fourth Economy. And what's what what this reminded me of is that well, let's say after the agricultural, after the industrial revolution, we moved into an economy of time where you know the nine to five was introduced, which was originally like nine to seven or something like that, but then they sh- cut it down to nine to five, where your amount of input of time, your amount of time you produ- spent on the conveyor belt producing stuff was directly proportioned to the amount of stuff you produce. Then we moved on in somewhere around the 80s, 90s to an economy of education, right? Where you, people with degrees, like no longer nine to five was as important because now you can do a lot of work in a short period of time just through your education, through your um, ideas, through your like, thinking, just thinking process. And people with degrees were very, very valuable. It was, you know, if you can get a PhD in your company or a person with a master's degree, that was really cool. And people, the higher your degree, the more you were getting paid. But then in the late 2000s, start of 2010s, we we moved away from that. We're actually now in an economy of um, entrepreneurship, an economy of ideas where people, we see this across the board that no matter what kind of degree you have, no matter how much education you have, your salary is not really linked to that. You, there are law firms that require a just a, like somebody doing admin work, um, a clerk to have a master's degree in law because there is so much. There are so many degrees out there. So now we're in an age of entrepreneurship, where it's about the people that are making the most impact or the people that are driving the most change are people who put together teams or put together other people including themselves working on concepts like what you described like you can't possibly it's really hard to be somebody who's very good at mathematics and machine learning and all that kind of stuff the complex or the coding side of data science and at the same time be good at uh, business intelligence and analytics and at the same time also be good at uh, presentation and at the same time be good at selling and marketing like all these components very hard for one person to combine and you're probably going to drop the ball somewhere so at the end of the day it's about understanding what your strengths are and finding the right people with a complementary complementing uh skills and attributes that together you can as you said create a partnership and put together a offer offering that will help uh, clients and that will meet their needs and that will uh, make a massive impact for people or businesses or industries. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. I mean, that's uh, it. It is interesting. Of you only have a finite a finite amount of time and energy, and mm. it's on you to choose where you invest that. Mm-hmm. That's right. Uh, and it, it's what 
what I see as a huge opportunity. And so we actually interviewed um, this guy by the name of Ken G, who is a data scientist in the sports analytics space. Mm-hmm. And something he was saying that's like popping up like crazy right now is that um, let me I think I'm remembering this correctly. They've loosened the sports betting laws. Mm. And what's happened in that industry is that a data scientist will create an algorithm or a piece of you know technology that is extremely valuable, and then that spins off into its own company. Mm. And I think that's really fascinating. And that's kind of where you have that skill that you've cultivated and you developed, and then the opportunity comes to you because you know you are uniquely gifted based on you know how you spent your time and energy over the past you know few years, ten years, however long. To, to be able to be the person to kind of, you know, benefit from that specific opportunity. Hmm. Very interesting. Very interesting. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's uh, just in sports betting or in, in any industry people can come across you know, situations like that? Oh, I mean, I'm seeing it myself. I've had multiple startup opportunities come my way um, because, you know, someone will come up with an idea and then they'll be like, we need someone to run the analytics and they'll come to me. I mean, recently I had one that kind of flopped, but I've, I've got a new opportunity that's just fallen on my lap because, you know, I'm the analytics guy in Greensboro. <laughs> and, and this guy has come up with a really, I mean, if, if this startup that has, has kind of fallen in my lap pops, it's going to pop huge. Mm. And it's 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 on the data governance side for retailers. I can't really talk about it too much because I'm under NDA, mm-hmm. but um, it has something to do with tracking data for retailers. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, he's looking to me to design the analytics infrastructure behind it, and then that's going to scale up. Awesome. So yeah, so it, it's really interesting to see how you build something and you have no idea what opportunities are going to come your way. Kind of like, you know, my partnership with you guys. Mm, yeah, true. true. Uh, How did that come about, by the way? Um, <laughs> this is a good story, I think, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so about a year and a half into my business, I just could not land a new client. Mm. Like, no matter how hard I would, you know, prospect, it just wasn't happening. So what I did with that free time was I started YouTubing and I just started making videos on analytics. And then about that time, maybe six months after I just started doing that, and while I was, you know, building these YouTube videos, I was getting better at recording, being on camera, you know, getting the lighting right, you know, just kind of like incrementally getting better at it. Mm-hmm. Um, a new Tableau, the desktop specialist certification came out. And I was like one of the first, like within a week or two of it releasing, I took it and then made a review on it on my YouTube channel. And that got picked up by the YouTube, the YouTube algorithm. And now all of a sudden I have a YouTube channel that's just getting, you know, a steady stream of views. And then I decided to then make a course on the desktop specialist certification. And um, that is, I'm, I'm still making, you know, a decent amount of money from that now. Cause that, that was almost a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, um, someone from your team found that course and then said, Hey, you're doing, you know, you've got really good audio. You seem to be an expert in this space. Let's partner on another Tableau course. Hmm. And that's when you did the Tableau for marketing course. Correct. Mm-hmm. 
Gotcha. Gotcha. Now we've got some Power BI exciting courses coming up. Right. Yeah. We're doing the uh, exact same thing on the Power BI side. Nice. Very cool, man. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, six months seems to be like a magic number for for me as well. Like once I decided to long time ago, uh, leave my job at Deloitte and be become like find a job that would allow me like in the industry and also allow me more free time to work on my business. Uh, I about about same time, maybe a bit less than six months. I was just posting on LinkedIn, just posting stuff, and and then opportunities started coming to me. So I guess a takeaway here is for people listening is if you have a goal in mind, if you want some, to do something, just start doing it. Start doing. So you're never going to be perfect right away. You're going to get incrementally better. Like for instance, our head of uh, video editing. Uh, in our, we call we have a team called Epic Media. In our Epic Media team, he's just started posting um, YouTube videos about how to do color correction and green screen and so on. He posted his first video, and it's already great. But I know with time, he will definitely get better and better and better. It's about like stepping over that first barrier of fear. And once you start doing, you get better. You get into the process, and before you know it, just as you're like getting into it and getting excited about it. Like that's when the opportunities are going to start coming your way. Um, so yeah, that's, that's been a takeaway for me. Have you noticed that in your life in other areas as well? Oh yeah. I don't know if it was Joe Rogan who said this or where I picked this up, but um, was it, it was a famous martial artist from like the 1960s or seventies that said, I don't fear the man who knows 10,000 different strikes. I fear the man who knows one strike, but it's done it 10,000 times. So it's, it's an iterative process. And, and the thing about like having that iterations of, you know, either taking on projects or doing videos is that you, you start to uncover like these incremental little adjustments that when you get enough of those together, it just all of a sudden pops and then you're, you've got something that is just like on a whole nother level. Yeah, beautiful, love it. Um, let's talk a bit about, to wrap things up slowly, let's talk a bit about actionable advice, right? So we're talking about a lot of cool things on this uh, podcast and what people can do uh, and what you've done, what I've done. What would your, I don't know, three key takeaways be for people listening? If they want to, start uh, get a job in data science or even more so in this day and age like again we don't know what the straight world will look like when this goes live but uh, assuming the lockdowns are still in place it's quite hard to get a a job um because you're just stuck at home maybe people want to build a freelance career in data science maybe they want to start a consulting company in data science remotely or or things like that so what would your advice be the top three tips you can share with people who are in a position like that, who either want to get a job in data science or, sorry, analytics in analytics or uh, who want to start consulting companies in that space? Um, I think the first place that you should start is actually building up a portfolio. Mm-hmm. And this, this is kind of like that analogy I was talking about, um, you know, having that, practicing that strike 10,000 times. Mm-hmm. It just start building something and work on problems that you find interesting. 
because you're going to put a lot more time and energy into solving that. And uh, we actually interviewed um, this guy by, by the name of Michael Galarnik on our podcast. And his analytics blog is getting about 260,000 hits a month. Mm. And he now has more opportunity coming to him than he could ever take on. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he's, you know, kind of already established himself and is, is already, you know, behind the bell curve in terms of like, he's got his blog working for him now and it's generating a lot of mm-hmm. um, traction. But he was saying that if you want to get, you know, an analytics job or a data science job, just get out there. And now is the perfect time to do that in the digital space. Because if you're working from home or, you know, unfortunately, if you got laid off, you now have this time where you can start to dedicate to your own personal projects. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So, great idea. Great yeah. advice. Build a portfolio. And, you know, I mean, to take that even a step further, which may be point two, is you may want to start thinking in terms of like a content calendar. So maybe what we did with, with our podcast, which, you know, I can parallel to someone getting in the data science or analytics space, is we wrote down all the topics that we know, you know, in depth and can really talk to. Mm-hmm. And then what we did is we prioritized the ones that, you know, well, I'm doing keyword research. I'm using TubeBuddy, but we're finding the, you know, where we have some expertise and where there's a big gap in knowledge. Mm-hmm. So like on YouTube, if there's no videos on, actually that's, this is a perfect example. There's not very many YouTube videos on how to build a data science or analytics portfolio. Mm-hmm. And over the past few weeks, you know, I interviewed someone who has built a successful one and I plan on actually, you know, you know, going step by step of how to build out a Tableau public portfolio because that's where people are getting jobs now. Mm, true. Very true. Gotcha. Content calendar. That's like uh, for you, it's understandable if your podcast, what does it mean for people listening? Um, it just gives them some priority on what projects to tackle first. And I think that's a huge um, demotivator. Like if they uh-huh. have six different projects they want to work on, they may never start on it because they're just overwhelmed because there's just this, there's so much work to do. It can give you a little bit of priority on what to focus on first and then, uh-huh. you know, get that out there, publish it, you know, maybe post it on Reddit or LinkedIn. I mean, LinkedIn seems to be like a, a great tool now. And, yeah, exactly. You don't yeah. even need to have a website, just post it on LinkedIn. Right. So, well, but I mean, where, where do people post their, like, how, how do you create a data science portfolio? Like, how, how did, have you done that specifically? Um, no, actually, <laughs> <laughs> no, not, uh, I don't have a data science portfolio. I have a, a Tableau public repository, but that's mostly for course stuff, courses stuff. Um, I, I think people would do it on, uh, you can either do it. Like I, I see what you mean. Like LinkedIn is just more like posts. But uh, what's the name? Andy, uh, Randy Lau did that on LinkedIn. He posted uh, everything he was learning. He was just posting them as po- uh, articles on LinkedIn. I think he has like eleven of them, and that was very powerful for him. I know you can do something like that on GitHub, and of course Tableau. You could go on Medium. You know, like I've seen people do it on Medium.com, which uh, you can even customize, make it look like your own blog. It doesn't matter that it's on Medium. Um, so you like going, like for just the thing is that for some people, this creating a website, WordPress, whatever else is a, is a barrier, you know, it's another excuse not to do it. So that's why I always recommend just do it somewhere where 
there's minimal barriers to entry. And then once you get traction, then you know you can expand into your own website. Then you'll even be more excited to do it. Yeah, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, um, from my interview with Michael Galarnik, he um he said you could even do like a screen capture and just show your model working or show the analysis and then embed it in a LinkedIn article that yeah. you publish. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, there are definitely ways that you can get yourself out there. But I think that's how you network in the time of the coronavirus is you you put together content. And the key to effective, you know, content traction is consistency. Well, mm -hmm. I mean, it's got to be quality and consistent. But if you have those two things running in tandem, then all of a sudden, who knows where you, you might end up. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. And uh, to, to your point about uh, content calendar, it not only it uh, gives you that, you know, you, you could be like lost or not knowing where to start if you have like seven ideas you want to work on, like uh, do a image detection for your cat and then do like track your i don't know how many how how you walk around the apartment while you are in quarantine or whatever else and and visualize and work on all those things like you don't know where to start well the content calendar will help you start as you mentioned but also having a content calendar for instance the second thing in your content calendar will make you know will let you know that the first thing isn't an open-ended project. Like you don't have the whole year to work on that. You only have three weeks. And after that, you got to get onto the second thing and it'll push you. And I've, I've noticed this with people that if they just say, I'm going to work on this one project, is like procrastination and you know other reasons why you're not getting to it can make that drag out for months. But if you have like five projects lined up and you know you only have three weeks for this one, then two weeks for that one, then a month for the next one, that's going to really get you going and push you especially once you get closer to that deadline i mean i can actually add to that if you can pick up some freelance clients mm. you want to talk about a motivator because I, I still struggle sometimes with um i'm very externally motivated which i do not like about myself like if i'm i don't i don't like to be late but if i set a deadline for myself sometimes i'll skimp on it so partnering with elizabeth on this podcast i have to have an episode ready every Tuesday or else I've let her down. Mm -hmm. So if you are struggling for motivation, it may be a good idea for you to pick up a freelance client because if you don't get that project done, you don't get paid. And I think that's a great motivator for you. Yeah. Easy to say, but uh, where do you pick up this freelance client? Um, so yeah, I was about to say it's, it's easier for me because like, this is what I do all day long. You know, mm. I've, I've built my life around, you know, working with new clients. I would say Upwork is a mm. somewhat solid way of getting new clients. I have picked up some clients from Upwork and they actually introduced a new feature where um, people looking for work can now toggle between U.S.-based uh, contractors and those, um, you know, all around the world. Mm -hmm. And um that that's helped out somewhat because when you know a couple years ago when I first tried Upwork, um, people in like very low income countries were just coming in with offers that were like a third or half. Um, mm. So if you're in the U.S., I would say Upwork is a decent way. And now that you know coronavirus has hit us, I think more and more people are looking to pick up you know work from online sources. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you can also look around just your your community where you're at. Um, I, we didn't really talk about this too much, but I joined the board of directors for a local nonprofit um, about two years ago, and I and I'm the treasurer, and I run data visualizations showing the the impact of the nonprofit. That has led to quite a bit of work in terms of just meeting people, um, kind of from a position of power. I'm a, I'm the board of director, and I'm also the treasurer, and I run the data visualization. So kind of stacking those three together, people are like, oh wow, this guy's legit, mm-hmm. you know. And if I have some analytics work, or you know, maybe there's a project that he could help me with, that that helped quite a bit. Gotcha. Okay. Very useful. All right, so we talked about three three things so far. Build a portfolio, uh, two things. Build a portfolio, uh, content calendar. What's your third and final piece of advice? Mm-hmm. So th- this is where I'm biased. I think you should learn about data visualization. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and I was kind of thinking about this while you, while you were talking just now, because um, some of your audience is like way into the numbers and coding and that kind of stuff, and that's mm-hmm. great. But if you're doing all that work and it's heavy lifting, but you're not showing any results, then I I think that that's a major um, weakness or flaw in kind of how you're operating in that space. I think you should be able to show the insights that you're using. And And I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, there is data visualization capabilities within Python and R and all the coding languages. So learning about the art of storytelling through data i think is this that will help you long term um negotiate your value as a data scientist or an analyst Mm -hmm. because because you're going to show the outcome Mm -hmm. i see it as a easy win in the sense that you're already doing the heavy lifting you're already doing like the all this work but by adding in order to get even better at machine learning or even better at deep learning or Python or R, whatever you're using, you're going to need to invest, I don't know, weeks, months of learning, of upskilling to get that. It's kind of like Roger Federer, where he's already really good at tennis. For him to get a fraction, you know, a 1% improvement at tennis, he would have to practice and train for probably like three or four months in a row nonstop. Whereas if Roger Federer were to go and get good at, I don't know, driving a uh, like a Formula One car, probably he's at level zero. I don't know, maybe he does that on the weekends. But assuming he's at level zero, for him to gain a huge improvement, he only needs to practice for a week. The, the you know problem here is that uh, driving a Formula One car has nothing to do with tennis. But in terms of data science, if you're really good at the machine learning and other aspects of it, like the coding side of things... To get even better, you're going to have to spend like months of training practice where you get 1% improvement. Whereas if you add the visualization component, which maybe you're very raw at, you know, you played around with it, but you, you've you kind of gone with the basic charts and so on. To improve that by 100%, you're going to need to spend like two or three weeks tops. And then all of a sudden, you've gotten this massive improvement, which in the eyes of people you're working with is equally as as important is equally important as the coding side of things because it helps them understand the input so you can add a huge uh increment to your skill set by spending less time if you focus on this other component of data science that probably you may have been neglecting up until now 
Yeah. I mean, and also too, I think a lot of your listeners probably like to think about, you know, languages like coding languages. Mm -hmm. I would say data visualization is its own language into itself, like showing the impact of an underlying data source. It has its own like art and science to it. So if you can start to learn about the basics of that, then all of a sudden you are, your analytics becomes a sales tool. So usually what I start with in my consulting agency is we start with a bottom of the funnel um, sales dashboard. And this opens up a whole lot of opportunity and trends that these CEOs, CMOs have never seen before. And then that leads to more projects because they're like, oh, wow, you know, this category is selling extremely high. What does my marketing look like for this? And then we go in and we can, you know, drill down and, and it just, it's, it's hard to explain. I, I've, I've been working on this concept for a while now of analytics as a sales tool. Mm-hmm. And I think that the best way that you can kind of upsell yourself is by creating visualizations that, well, number one, they visualize the underlying trend, but they also do it in a way that like really moves someone so that mm-hmm. they can like, wow. This is a huge opportunity. It gets them excited. And then all of a sudden their their mind starts to turn and they're like, wow. You know, and this actually happened to me the end of last year. I did a sales dashboard and they're like, Well, can you look at our survey data? You know, we need to make sure that the product that's selling really well has a high feedback rating. And if it doesn't have a good feedback rating, what are the aspects of this product that aren't doing well? Mm-hmm. So sorry, I missed where where was the wall component in that one? Well, I mean, so they're they're understanding that you can start to uncover these insights on, you know, multiple. So I started with the sales dashboard and then they they realized that there was so much insight that they were just leaving on the table that they wanted. They would now want me to go through every every through every um, one of their six departments. So now, now, now I'm looking at, you know, customer data, you know, I'm looking at their marketing data. I'm looking at their sales data. I mean, like every single one of their departments, now they want a dashboard for that to visualize, you know, these, these key trends that they've never really kept their eye on before. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Important, important to wow people because at the end of the day, people take action based on emotion not right. on logic. They rationalize with their actions later with logic. Right. Yeah, yeah that's, that's true. Important component. <laughs> Try wowing somebody with code. It's another coder, probably. Right. Yeah. Whereas visuals, that's the language everybody understands. Um. Anyway, we've come to an end. It's been fantastic, John David. Amazing, amazing podcast. Um. Tell us where can our listeners find you? What's the best places to get in touch and uh, follow you, your career, and anything that you put out there? Okay, so follow me on LinkedIn. So my name is John David Ariansen. That's A-R-I-A-N-S-E-N. Um, that's where I post. That's kind of the hub where I post a lot of things. But you can also look up how to get an analytics job. And we're on Buzzsprout, which is a podcasting platform. And we're also on YouTube. So we do actually have a video podcast where, you know, me and Elizabeth will talk through specific 
topics on the YouTube channel. And then we also interview analytics experts as well. Mm-hmm. So is every episode a video episode? Um, so the first like five or six have no video. Maybe the first 10 don't have any mm-hmm. video. But now we're starting to add video on top of it. Okay, gotcha. Fantastic. Oh, by the way, do you have a website? Um, you can look up silvertoneanalytics.com. That's my consulting agency's website. Fantastic, fantastic. Okay, well, that's that's the places where to find John David. Make sure to check out his podcast also on, on iTunes. Sounds quite interesting. Sounds very interesting how to get a job in analytics. And before I let you go, one more question for you today. What's a book you can recommend to our listeners? So I think... The most relevant book, and granted, I do have that data visualization bias here, is a book called Storytelling with Data by Cole Nussbaumer. And this book just goes through in depth how you can take, you know, kind of a a gnarly, huge data set and then put a pretty face on it that kind of wows people. And that's, you know, like you were saying earlier, that's where you influence so storytelling with data is my recommendation. Fantastic. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, John David, for coming on the show. Really enjoyed our chat and good luck with the uh, agency, with the courses. I know you published some courses uh, through LinkedIn, which is very exciting as well, and uh, helping people with the podcast as well. So yeah, look forward to chatting in the future. All right. Yeah. Thanks. So there you have it, everybody. Super pumped about this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did and got your key takeaways from here. Uh, My favorite part was that quote that John David shared that I'm not afraid or some from some martial artist uh, that I'm not afraid of a person who knows uh, a thousand different moves or 10,000 different moves, but I'm afraid I'm more afraid of a person who has done one move. 10,000 different times. And that talks about iterations, iterations, iterations in your career, in your passions. If you found something that you love, do it many times and get better at it. And then opportunities will come your way. And of course, lots of other exciting parts to this podcast, lots of great ideas and tips. And hopefully if you're looking to set up a consulting agency, analytics agency, or become a freelancer in this space, or even get a job, then you picked up some useful tips from here. Make sure to follow John David, check out his podcast. Once again, it's called How to Get an Analytics Job. Uh, Of course, we'll mention all of the, or we'll include all of the links to items mentioned in this episode in the show notes. As usual, show notes are available at superdatascience.com slash 361, superdatascience.com slash 361. And that is also how you share this episode. If you know somebody who's in the space of analytics or who's building a freelance or data science or freelance data science career or uh, is starting an agency or has started an agency or is looking to get a job in this space or needs to learn visualization, they may have been focused really heavily on other parts of data science but need to learn visualization, send them this episode. Just send them the link, superdatascience.com slash 361. And on that note, thank you so much for being here today. Really appreciate you and your time. Hope we delivered a great episode for you once again. And I look forward to seeing you back here next time. Until then, happy analyzing.